Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Gianna Melillo, Associate Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. With unprecedented pauses in air pollution emissions seen around the world in the spring of 2020 and virus mitigation behaviors being implemented for over a year, The COVID-19 pandemic has presented a unique opportunity to better understand the impact of poor air quality on human health. In particular, exposure reduction due to mask wearing and stay-at-home orders has contributed to anecdotal reports of reduced exacerbations among patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, asthma, allergies, and other respiratory conditions. To learn more about how the pandemic has altered care and disease management among these patients, we spoke with Dr. Courtney Blair, an allergist and immunologist in Virginia. On this episode of Managed Carecast, Dr. Blair, who also serves as the president of the Greater Washington Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Society, discusses factors that may have contributed to improvements in her patients' respiratory health over these past 15 months. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Blair. To start off, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Sure, yeah, so my name is Courtney Blair. I'm an allergist immunologist in McLean and also in Sterling, Virginia. And I'm an owner of this practice or the owner currently. And we have a a spectrum of adult and pediatric patients and we care for allergy, a lot of asthma care, some immunology care as well. Uh, And then also presently, I am serving as the president of the Greater Washington Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Society, which covers D.C., Northern Virginia, and uh, close in Maryland. There have been anecdotal reports of patients with COPD experiencing less exacerbations throughout the lockdown, due in part to less external exposures, like not leaving the house or social distancing. And some studies have also shown similar decreased visits for patients with asthma in both the UK and South Korea. So in your experience, are visits to allergists down because either kids aren't getting viral infections at school or mask wearing, or have any similar scenarios played out for you? Yeah, uh, definitely. And I think there have been a kind of a culmination of issues. So last spring, I think nobody wanted to go to the doctor, and that was understandable. Uh, We did a lot of telemedicine visits at the time. So I've been keeping touch with patients virtually. Uh, We're bringing some people into the office, but I'm hearing a lot of stories about how last spring, uh, especially our usual pollen sufferers, were having a lot less uh, exacerbations, maybe because people were even fearful to leave their house. Um, Also mask wearing for our pollen sufferers seemed to benefit them uh, quite a bit when they did leave the house. They were inhaling less particulates from uh, pollen, especially. I had always had a few small patient uh, numbers who, where they would wear masks even before the pandemic. And I'll be honest, I kind of said, well, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But I was also cognizant of the fact that it might be socially awkward for them to wear a mask (laughs) in public. Now, of course, that's not the case at all. But I've had numerous patients um, and and parents tell me that their kids are way less sick this year uh, because either they're at home or all the measures that we're taking uh, to prevent COVID have also cut down on the rates of just spread of any sort of viral nonsense (laughs) that usually would be floating around, especially in the fall. 
Um, and then in terms of miasmatics and COPD patients, and, and most of my COPD patients have asthma slash COPD, but we have numerous patients with you know chronic respiratory diseases. Uh, in terms of exacerbations, I really haven't had a ton this last year. And I think that also reflects the fact that our flu season was just trivial compared to previous years. Um, the data, I wouldn't be able to give you the exact numbers, but I mean, just a ridiculously small number of hospitalizations for influenza compared to our normal year. Uh, but there's also other viruses like rhinovirus, adenovirus, things that would spread on contact, but probably also to some degree by being close to people who are sneezing and coughing. I don't have numbers of my patients, but anecdotally, I would be able to say that we've doled out less prednisone, that we've had less exacerbations across the board for pediatric and adult patients. Yeah. How do you think the combination of reduced air pollutants and increased social distancing measures has helped patients with respiratory conditions? And do you think one plays a bigger role than the other? That's that's a great question. And I think with outdoor pollutants, we still have had some days where the air quality wasn't ideal in and around the D.C. area. So I, I, I've still been caution, cautioning folks to take care with, with days where we've had, you know, sort of orange or red days, so to speak, uh, and limit their time outdoors. Uh, for our practice, it's mostly an issue of spring and fall pollen. Uh, that is a, a big driver for a lot of our patients. There is data to say that pollutants may act as an accelerant for pollens, that there's uh, certain types of uh, fumes, uh, specifically from my understanding, diesel exhaust fumes that can actually combine with certain pollens and increase the weight of these structures, I guess, and then accelerate how they spread into the lungs and the respiratory tree. So for our sensitive airway patients, which are most of our patients, either upper airway or lower airway, we, we wanna be mindful of outdoor activities. Uh, on the flip side, uh, exercise is important and exercising indoors, unless you're by yourself, uh, is a tricky subject right now. And I have been cautioning people to choose to exercise outside rather than in, in an indoor gym where there may be people who might not be wearing masks. So it's kind of a rub there. Um, I mean, globally overall in our patient population, we've had less exacerbation. So I think it's going to be hard to know, is it, you know, less pollutants? Did, did the, the drop in, in pollutants overall make that much of a difference? I, I, I don't know that I would be able to say for sure. I think the decrease, though, in viral spread of all viruses in the last 12 months, though, probably is the most critical factor that people are just getting sick less um, patients who have kids, a lot of our patients who are teachers have been getting sick way less. We do have some patients who are immunodeficient, and it's been a tricky subject for some of these patients who work in the public, and especially my teachers, uh, where it's been an occupational hazard. I mean, they're getting sick all the time with viruses before the pandemic. Now, I mean, most of those patients have been on zero antibiotics this last year, which is outstanding uh, just to minimize that exposure to antibiotics that ideally we wouldn't need to have them on if they can just avoid getting the virus in the first place. A lot of my chronic sinusitis patients, especially if, if they don't get the virus first, then that doesn't transform to a bacterial sinus infection. So if we can cut down on the, on the virus transmission, which 
has been happening this last year, uh, then they are feeling better and needing less other medications that may bring other side effects or problems. What can we learn from the COVID-19 lockdowns and what changes do you hope to see moving forward? Yeah, you know, even even before the the pandemic, I mean, we've had other scares before. We've had MERS and SARS and other issues uh, where I think we've all been aware of the possibility of a pandemic, but now that it's actually hit us as hard as it's hit us this last year, I think we're all now realizing what it what it takes to prevent transmissible illnesses. And, and before the pandemic, I was frequently talking to my respiratory patients, either my asthma patients, chronic sinusitis patients, or my immunodeficiency patients to be aware of their hands. So hand awareness for fomite spread. And yes, to some degree, I was telling people to stay away from sick people, but that is tricky to do. Uh, sometimes you don't know who's sick. Sometimes someone may be sick, but they haven't presented yet with their fever or their active symptoms. So they might still be contagious in and before they even know it or know that they're sick. So it's, I think that's a, a learning point for me is that, of course, hand washing is important, not touching your face unless you've washed your hands. Be aware of high touch areas, door handles, mice, keyboards that have been used by other people. But then also the fact that masking and social distancing has made a big, big difference. Air quality, I also think has been something that we're really paying attention to. So are you in an office where you're all jam-packed together? Um, What's your ventilation system like? Can you open the windows at school? Are you jam-packed together? Uh, Also same issues. Some schools are uh, in cl- there, the kids are in classrooms where there's no, there are no windows, <laughs> uh, and they may be very old school structures with outdated ventilation systems. And whether or not there's infrastructure built in in that in that facility, it's hard to know how clean the air is in in those places. And uh, in our office, we've put air filters in every single patient exam room or in any room where there's going to be more than one person for any prolonged period of time, you know, any shared office space. Luckily, uh, at one of our offices, the landlord also put in a new uh, air scrubber that brings in outdoor air and recirculates the air at a high frequency, almost hospital grade, which, you know, we didn't even ask for, which I am very grateful for. But not all offices are going to benefit from that. And some offices are not going to have the most up-to-date air filtration systems. And that's that's going to be trickier if people are all combined in a room for a prolonged period of time. Even with masking, um, that might not be ideal, but there are some office spaces that my patients are going to where uh, they're asked to wear a mask if they're up and walking around, but they don't have to wear a mask in their cubicle, but still they're in a confined office space with shared air over a long period of time and they don't have access to information about what their ventilation system is like or it's hard to get or there's a lot of unclear information that's given back to them and they don't have a lot of power or control over that at all. Sometimes I'm asking patients to buy on their own or maybe with flexible health spending with the doctor's order uh, a good air filter at least for their little work area. And that, that should help to some degree, but it's still a group effort um, from the employer and, and the coworker and, and the employee themselves.
Human-caused climate change has also contributed to longer and more intense pollen seasons, which not only will have implications on human health, but also raise associated medical costs. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah. And, and we were talking about diesel exhaust fumes acting as an accelerant for pollens. I, I was listening this morning to plans for ways to reduce greenhouse gases and human-emitted pollutants that might worsen respiratory health. And I think that's the way that the world is going to get better, personally speaking, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think we can rely on certain types of energies over the long haul if we know or if we have data to say that it's it's harming our own personal health, but also globally the health of the planet. Uh, that's that's my personal view, but also based off of solid available data. Uh, and I know that there are impacts in the short term and medium term, but I know that the long-term health consequences we might not fully appreciate till you know 10, 20 years from now, but um, I fully support and applaud any efforts towards any scientific ventures and data collection, but also policy changes that improve air quality for my patients, for myself, for, you know, my kids and grandkids. Uh, And I can't see the downside to that, especially if it's done in a way that is respectful for everybody in our country, but across the planet and changing industry over time that supports that change so that, you know, everybody still at the same time stays employed, um, that nobody loses their livelihood over this. But I think there are a lot of innovations being put forward that can help engineer cleaner ways to run the planet. And so going off of that, given the strong relationship that exists between climate change and health outcomes, what role should doctors and medical professionals have in advocating for something like clean air, if any at all, in your opinion? Sure. And, and I think, you know, it's tricky in, in my practice because I've got patients with a wide spectrum of backgrounds and personal beliefs. So I need to be respectful for where everybody is uh, with, you know, their understanding of global warming and, and their understanding on, on where the main contributions are coming from. My approach with my discussions with my patients is that we need to trust the science and to be fact-based as as much as we can be. And none of us are being charged to be experts in it unless that's their true role and title. But from my point of view uh, and for caring of my patients, I can have at least a preliminary conversation about, hey, listen, you've got a chronic respiratory disease you need to be mindful of air quality. So please, you know, curtail certain activities if that's going to put you at risk. Big picture wise, we can have a bigger conversation to some degree about it, but I'm not always going to meet everybody at the same place. Uh, I do have some patients who might still be exploring the information and the data. And uh, so I need to, you know, be aware of where people are and be respectful for where they are in their journey of understanding all of this and uh, uh, at the same time, you know, give them my perspective as much as it's warranted um, without turning anybody off. And and that's just sort of an honest answer. You know, it's like we need to treat every patient respectfully with where they are, with their health in mind, with the best science and information and options. And then there's a lot of shared decision-making with 
everything from activities and knowing when and where to do things, medications, treatment plans. And unfortunately, I think so much has become political around global warming. And and I I personally speaking, I think that's a little unfortunate because I I would like everybody to just to take a, a dispassionate scientific measured approach to learning what the issues are. And honestly, there's probably a ton more that I could learn too and, and bring that to the table with our patients. But sometimes it, it, it is a distraction. You know, if we talk too, too much about these issues that are beyond me and my patient and how to, you know, how to take an inhaler uh, and, and I don't want to turn anybody off. But at the same time, I mean, we're oftentimes having a discussion about, hey, you know, the uh, the air quality today is not good. Um, and some of this is due to diesel exhaust fumes or other pollutants. And it is what it is. So we need to, you know, deal with that problem today. But whether or not that makes somebody think about the big picture and the big plan and how we're, you know, moving forward as, as a country, but as a world, that doesn't often come into the patient conversation, but it might get alluded to. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, there's, there's only so much limited time that we have, you know, 20 minutes with a patient uh, to discuss a lot of different things. But in terms of climate change, it, it often isn't the main part of what we're talking about, but it, it does come up in kind of tangential ways. Well, those are all the questions I had, but is there anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to include or do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? I mean, I think with all of my patients, it's been a very stressful year Um, and, you know, independent of our patients' political backgrounds or leanings, everybody has put some thought and attention to what they're doing. Most of my patients, 99% are coming with respect for, I think, where other people have been too, which is, I've been very grateful to see and hear that. And everybody's wanting to not only help themselves, but it's a a pretty rare patient that doesn't want to help the person next to them too. So I've been very comforted by that, Uh, you know, knowing how seriously everybody's taken social distancing in our office that they've respected our office policies as they've been changing over and over again over the last year. And all of these policies were enacted to help our patients help each other, uh, but also my staff and coming to work during a really stressful time before anybody was vaccinated. I, I just appreciate all of the work that my staff did and that my patients did for us and vice versa along the way. Um, and they, my staff and my patients alike were kind of rolling with the punches and it was a lot, um, to be able to still keep people in the office to come for their allergy shots and come for their regular routine care, you know, turning over to telemedicine when people sometimes weren't very tech savvy. And then all of the work that was needed to teach people to log on and, and be part of a telemedicine visit. There, there was a lot. Um, but I've been very impressed overall by the, um, character of my patients and the character of my staff through this. And, you know, we're looking at it now where all of my staff has been vaccinated and there's more hope and, and we are definitely being advocates for our patients. And we've personally signed up many to get their vaccine when they weren't able to sign up online on their own. And um, I think we're all a bit more optimistic, at least for the next year um, compared to 
a year ago from now. Uh, but some of the issues that you brought up, like global warming and human-caused climate change, it's that is such a, a big subject that's going to necessitate so many actors to make change over time, everything from politics to industry to individual choices, uh, and then healthcare providers supporting the choices that are going to be right for the patient, both in the immediate, medium, and long term. It's it's going to be a lot. Um, but I, I hope the costs of new ways to make our lives work and function, that those go down, the ones that are more climate friendly, because I think the economic forces are going to be the the biggest thing that drives change, you know, if it's if it's cheaper to do something and but it happens to be the, the right thing, it's going to get done. <laughs> so I hope the cost for things that are carbon neutral or even things that can offset carbon production, that those go down, because I think that's going to incentivize everybody to you know, make the change um, that's right for the planet. But I just hope that this doesn't end up being more political than it needs to be, because it's it's just all about our own health, our our kids' health, our grandkids, et cetera, health. Um, But, yeah. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.